Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to talk to you today out of Matthew chapter 2. We're reading St. John's Gospel this month. I hope you're reading the book of the month in John. But today I want to read out of Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read quite a few verses. Follow along on the screen with me this morning and try to believe that God wants to speak to you. I know I've said that to you many times, but you've got to believe that you're not just here to have church. You're not here to listen to Scott Becker talk. You're here hoping that I'll get out of the way long enough to let God say something through me that can be a blessing to you. To let God say something through me that can encourage you and strengthen you and motivate you to be all that God has created you to be. So I want you to believe that God is alive, that his word is powerful, and that he can speak to us this morning. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1, The Bible says, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, where is he born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. This morning, I want to preach to you from a sermon titled, Let's Learn a Lesson from the Wise Men That Came to See Jesus. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for giving us your word that we could learn what you would have us to do and how you would have us to live, how you approach us and how we approach you. God, I pray today you'd anoint me to say things that would honor you. Bless this time now is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. One of you deacons that's got a phone in your pocket, make the air cooler in here. It's hot. I see people fanning, and that's going to be distracting. So uh, fan till you cool off, but let somebody make it a little cooler in here. Knock that air down a little bit. This is a passage of Scripture that is looked at this time of year by churches all across the world. This story about the wise men that come to see Jesus is a familiar story for most of us. But no matter how many times you've heard this story today, I want you to listen to it to get something from it. See, you got to be willing to receive what the Lord has for you. Some people come to church with a uh, 
bad attitude, come there, sit there with a frown on their face and just look at the praise team like, okay, sing me happy. We don't come to sing you happy. And then I come up and people expect me to preach you happy. I'm, I'm not here to preach you happy. I'm just here to put out the food. You got to be willing to get it. Y'all not hearing me. If you need something from God, you need to take personal accountability today and say, I'm going to get something. I am going to get something from this preached word. The Bible says God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save those that would believe. You need to decide you're going to get something from this living word today and learn the lesson that God would have you to learn. We're just going to go through a little Bible study this morning through some of these verses in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. It says, When Jesus was born. When Jesus was born. When Jesus was born. I've been saying for years, everybody believes in Jesus. Everybody just doesn't believe that he was the Son of God. Everybody just doesn't believe that he lived a perfect life, died on a cross, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But the birth, the life, the death of Jesus Christ, he's the most documented human being to ever live. For some, if somebody said, I don't believe in God, you could talk to them about that. But if they say they don't believe in Jesus, then they just you can't do nothing for them. This is a historical account, the birth of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus was born? Hallelujah. He was born in Bethlehem. And you need to believe that Jesus is a real person. You need to believe that Jesus lived on this same planet that we live on. Verse 1 goes on to say, there came wise men from the east. Now, you've been going to manger scenes your whole life, and you've been looking at the gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh your whole life. You've been hearing this story your whole life. How many wise men were there? Three. Some people said three. Why did you say three? Because you saw it in a manger setting, in a nativity setting. Why did you say three? Because you heard it in a song. These three kings of Orient are bearing gifts and traveling far, whatever they said. But you got to learn, you cannot get your theology where you shouldn't get your theology from a song. Too many people have gotten their theology from other sources than the Bible. And all real doctrine is derived from God's holy word. And so I ask you again, I'll give you the answer. You don't have to answer this time. How many of these wise men were there? We don't know. Nowhere in scripture does it tell us three. And nowhere in antiquity does it tell us three. No recorded historian has documented the amount of these people. Folk made that up. They just decided these three kings of Orient are sounds better than these 12 kings. I don't know why, but we assumed that there were three. Listen, we don't know how many kings they were. So next time you see a nativity scene with three kings, just know for sure that they got that wrong and the Bible does not teach that. They were. The scripture says that they were wise men. Look in the bottom of this screen. It says there came wise men from the east. Now, tradition tells us that these were kings. These kings traveled a long way to come to see the birth of Jesus, but they weren't kings. They were astrologers. They were sorcerers. They worked with magic. They were diviners. They they were um, intelligent men given to education. I want you to know, I've met a lot of smart people in my life, and if you ever get so smart that you think you've outsmarted God, you're in trouble. 
Don't be that smart. But these were intelligent people. They, they, they were smart people. I love when I see good sayings on people's business, bulletins and things. I, I like the saying, wise men still seek Jesus. They were wise men, not kings. They, they had no, no place of rule. They were wise men, the scripture tells us, and they came seeking Jesus. I wonder if this Christmas you're looking for Jesus at all. The Bible tells us that the Lord is going to come back for us one day. Have you given any thought to that lately? Have you given any thought to the fact that maybe one day Jesus really will do what the Bible says he'll do and he will come back for us and take us to heaven? The Bible says this is the great hope of the church. But so many people don't think about that. The apostle Paul said that there was a crown laid up for him in heaven because he loved the appearing of the Lord. He was looking for Jesus to come back. I wonder, are you looking for the Lord to come back? They were seeking him then. I want you to know, big lesson you can learn right off the bat this morning. Wise men still seek Jesus. In verse 2 it says, they asked this question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So they say he's born king of the Jews. They make this distinction. Obviously, from where they're coming from, they're not Jews. They do not worship Jehovah. All other religions on the planet at that time were polygamists. Polygamists? That's not right. Polytheistic. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Polygamist is a different thing. <laughs> hey, some of y'all wish. Look, you, you can't take care of the one you got. Stay with one. They believed in multiple gods. One of the things that made the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob different was they believed there was only one true God. These were not Jewish people. They were not followers of Jehovah. They were not there because they followed the religion of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They just made it their habit. They followed all different types of religion, and they were coming to see who's going to be the king of this Jewish religion. They said, we've seen his star in the east. I told you they were astrologers. They were oriental astrologers and they studied all the time. Their job was to be book nerds and they just consumed all the writing they could. So they were the smartest, most educated people uh, on the planet during that time. And they knew what the Old Testament prophecy said about the king of the Jews. They knew that there was going to come a man who would be born of a virgin and he would become the king of the Jews and God had given them a star to bring them to see Jesus Christ. In verse 3, the Bible says, When Herod, the king, heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was troubled. He was scared. Say scared. He was scared because he knew the book too. Listen, just because people know the book, don't make them Christian. Everybody talking about Jesus is not truly born again. Everybody that can teach, preach, sing, lead, do cool stuff in the church, that doesn't make you saved. Being in love with Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with him is what makes you saved. Herod knew the prophecy. He knew what the Bible said. He knew what the Old Testament taught, and he's scared now because he didn't know it was going to be in his lifetime. See, they were oppressing these Jews. The government at that time were oppressing God's people, and he was the king of all oppression, and he knew because the wise men that he surrounded himself with had told him they believe 
that there's going to be a king that's going to come back and rescue and redeem them, and they're going to put their foot on our neck. Let me tell you something. One day the little man is going to sit in the big chair, and the big man's going to have his neck under our feet. That's a different message for a different time. Y'all don't have to believe me. But they knew that one day Messiah was going to come and he was going to help these people that they were oppressing. Herod had no idea it would be in his lifetime. He was probably hoping that it wouldn't be in his lifetime because it spelled trouble for him. That's why he was troubled when he heard it. Listen, do you believe that Jesus Christ even possibly could come back in your lifetime? Well, they've been saying that for so long, preacher. They've been saying that for so long. I love what the Scripture says. We're nearer than when we first believed. I've been believing he could come back any day for 35 years. If I believed it 35 years ago, I'm, I'm 35 years closer than I was when I started believing it. People say, preacher, you really believe Jesus could come back now? I, I'm shocked that he hadn't already come back. Every prophecy for his return has already been fulfilled. Every prophecy laid out in Scripture for the timeline of eschatology has already happened. The last thing that had to happen happened in our lifetime, and it's not the 1948 regathering of Israel, which so many theologians falsely represent. The last thing that had to happen for Jesus to come back was people needed to be able to see around the world together at one time. Because the scripture says that after Jesus comes back, God's going to send two witnesses. And they're going to die, and they're going to lay dead in the street for three days. And the whole world will see them. Well, prior to 1972 and the invention of simulcast television around the world, it was not possible for the whole world to see those two men laying in the streets of Jerusalem. So something had to happen. Something had to happen. How are everybody going to see it? Well, CNN. Same way we see everything else. People are going to see it worldwide. Everybody's going to see it. So God has waited this long to wait on the return of his son. only last thing that had to happen was simulcast television. That's happened in my lifetime and most of your lifetimes. I want you to know, you better get troubled about the return of the Lord. You better get urgent about the return of the Lord. If you have unsaved family members, you better start praying more than you've ever prayed in your life. That God would save them. Because if you believe the words of this book, when Jesus comes back, he's taking you with him. Then who's going to tell them about Jesus? Oh, well, they'll realize I'm gone. And they'll remember what you said about the rapture and the second return of Christ. And they'll realize that a lot of people have disappeared. And then they'll fall on their knees and they will trust God. The Bible says that that will not happen. For anybody who ever had the opportunity to receive the Lord as their personal Savior and believe in God, the Bible tells us that when they're left here, that God himself will send them a strong delusion, and they will believe a great lie. Your loved ones will not have the mental capacity to override God's strong delusion. When God strongly deludes you, you will not figure it out beyond God. So don't think, well, if my husband or my wife ever disappears, then I'll believe what you're saying, and I'll cry out to God, and he'll save me. It'll be too late for you. You'll be believing in the lie. Oh, no, I'm not stupid, preacher. I'll remember, if God that created everything sends you a strong delusion and says you will believe a great lie, you're going to believe a great lie. Anybody got a quick idea? What, is, what, what are they going to say? Where, where, all them, where, 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 where me and them nine other people go? That's a joke. I hope you're one of them. But where, where are all those millions of people that are truly born again going to go? 
What are they going to say? Where are they going to say they went? UFOs. The aliens took them. Them spacemen got them. All you got to do, look at the movies. Look at the movies. Why do you think these movies are so awesome? Why do you think they're so captivating? Why do you think they, they do so well? Listen, if anybody was ever inspired by the devil, it's Spielberg. M. Night Shyamalan and the rest of these, man, they think up some wild stuff. Ain't no normal mind can think that stuff up. Now they got this movie out with that girl with the funny-looking nose. She, uh, what's that girl's name? In Arrival. Amy who? Amy Adams. They got Amy Adams in a new movie called Arrival. They're here. It is not going to be hard to convince people Millions of people all across the world have disappeared. Spaceships are everywhere. They have taken millions of people, and we're left here to figure it out. That's my personal belief. You believe what you want to believe, but I tell you this. Herod did not believe that the prophecy would be fulfilled in his lifetime. Now, the Bible says we have these stories for our example so we can learn from them. We need to learn from the people who did the right thing how to do the right thing so we can get good stuff. We need to learn from the people who did the wrong thing how to avoid doing the wrong thing so we can avoid the bad stuff. So we have examples of right and we have examples of wrong. Herod is an example of wrong. Say wrong. He's an example of wrong, and he did not believe that this prophecy would be fulfilled in his lifetime. So you got to decide. And just saying it out loud, just saying, yeah, I believe in it, don't mean you really believe in it. How do you live during the week? When no one's watching but God, how do you live when his son may be just about to stand up, split the eastern sky wide open, and come back and get all God's children? See, you don't know what generation this was going to happen. Herod knew that the Jews were going to overthrow his government. He just didn't know when it was going to happen. And when they told him this, he gets nervous. He gets troubled. He's a little upset. In verse 4, the scripture says, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. He calls all his smart people in now. He wants the religious people to come in, the scribes, the keeper of the law, the keeper of the books. He wanted all the smart people, all the book nerds to come in. And he said, where is this Christ supposed to be born? Where can we find him? Because we got to put a stop to this thing. And he thought that he was going to be able to stop the work of the Lord. In verse 5, they said to him, in Bethlehem. Of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. How crazy is that? These are pagans. These are non-saved people. These are non-God-following people. They didn't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They weren't looking for Jesus, but they knew where he was going to be born because they were smart enough to believe what the book says. When you read the Bible, you need to believe that this prophetic material is facts and it's true. And they said, well, we can tell you exactly where he's going to be born because this is what is written by the prophet. Verse 6, and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Well, the words of Matthew were not already written down for him to talk about, you know, the words of the prophet said this. But the words of Micah the Old Testament prophet had already been written down because in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the scripture that they're quoting was written down in Micah 5, 2. And it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one. The one. There's not many roads to heaven. There's one. 
out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. So somebody's going to be born that's been around forever. See, this is what we believe about God. We believe God has no beginning. Jesus manifested in Bethlehem 2,000-some-odd years ago as a baby in a manger, but the Scripture tells us that Jesus has always been around. The Bible says in uh, John chapter 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. If you read the story of creation in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image. He was talking to Christ. God and Jesus have been together forever, but there's this one that's going to come who has goings forth from old, from everlasting. They've been waiting on that prophecy of Micah to be fulfilled, and they tell Herod the bad news. They tell him where the Lord is going to be born. In verse 7, then Herod, when he privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. Now, some of you read the story. You know the book. He actually goes out and has every baby boy born under what age? Two. Killed. Could you imagine? Taking babies from mamas and daddies. and He was so scared. He was so convinced that the the Jewish prophets worshipped the one true God. He wasn't saved. He wasn't following God. But he believed that they were right. And when he said, hey, about what time that star appeared? About two years ago, huh? Well, we got to go out and kill all the boys, two and under. They told him when the star appeared. Listen, these people could have thought, oh, this is cool. This dude talking to us about what we like. He's talking to us about the Lord. He's talking to us about when, when, when the baby was born. You know, sometimes people are just pumping you for information that they can use against you. He's pumping these wise men for information that he can use against them. In verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. Say young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. This dude is lying. This dude is scheming. He got his own agenda. He tells them, when you find him, Come tell me where he is, and I'll go worship him too. He didn't want to go worship him. He wanted to go snuff him out. He wanted to make sure that this ruler that was the rightful king of that land was not going to come and step on his neck and take over. So, listen, like I told you before, everybody talking to you about Jesus don't really love the Lord. In verse 9, it says, When they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. The star that they've been following from the Orient reappears, and it's right over where Christ is. I want to tell you something. Anybody who's seeking the Lord for real, God will guide you on your way. Lost or saved. You don't even have to be a Christian to be in here. If you are seeking for the Lord, if you truly want to find God, If you truly want to find God in His Son, Jesus Christ, He'll give you a sign. He'll he'll give you something to follow. He'll point you in the right direction. Because the Bible says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. So God gave them what they needed. Now, most of us aren't astrologers. Most of us don't sit out on the back porch with telescopes every night. We could see a whole lot more than they could see back then. But most of us aren't looking for a sign in the sky. But I want to tell you that this morning, God can speak to you in your own language. God can show you something in a way you can receive it. If you'll ever truly start looking for him, he will 
reveal himself to you. That star reappeared, and it guided them all the way to where they were going. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I told you we need to learn a lesson from these wise men. They rejoiced because they still saw what God was doing. They weren't truly even following God the, the way we know as Christians we're supposed to follow God, but they saw something bigger than them happening. And if you're here and you're saved, I want you to start opening your eyes and seeing miracles. I want you to start opening your eyes and seeing miracles. I've been telling people my whole adult life. I've lived on the west side of Jacksonville my whole adult life and grew up here. I've been telling people for decades, don't go on Blanding in the month of December. If, if, if you ain't smart enough to figure that out, then just go and get out there. I got to go to the mall. Skip it. Tell them what I tell them. You know how many presents my kids are getting for Christmas? Same amount they got last year. None. You say, Pastor, you a Scrooge? You don't like Christmas? I love Christmas. I thank God for Christmas. I celebrate the birth of Christ. You don't have to do it the way I do it. We just don't make Christmas about gifts at my house. We, we get up and we read the Christmas story and we give God thanks and, and we, we, we try to be a blessing to our community. But don't, don't get on blanding in December. But if you do happen to get on blanding in December, as I found myself yesterday in massive frustration on blanding Boulevard, <laughs> back up miles, bumper to bumper, dead stop, light turning green, nobody moving, turns red, we still ain't moving. Turn green again, that's a sign. Come on, people. It ain't going to get no greener. They got one shade of green in, in Florida. That's the sun. They're not moving. Well, so in literally less than a two-mile stretch on Blanding Boulevard, we had to get out of the way for an ambulance and a fire truck to come past us. We're all diving on top of each other. And then we had to go around the accident and the police and the ambulance and the fire truck on the, uh, uh, further two miles up the road. Listen, what am I saying? If you happen to drive on Blandy Boulevard and you get to where you're going without the assistance of police, ambulance, or a fire truck, you ought to give God praise and you ought to give God glory and you ought to thank Him. If you didn't get pulled over for, for, for some faulty issue and nobody shot you, you ought to give God glory. You ought to look for ways to be able to give God praise. They were rejoicing just because the star reappeared. Look at the stars in the sky every night. But they were rejoicing because they knew something was happening. You say, well, ain't nothing big happening in my life. Sure it is. Sure it is. You, you better start looking for good things and giving God praise for good things or you're going to be spending time in prayer over bad things. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. I buried a wife at 36 years old. At 34 years old, she, we took, I took her into the hospital. She wasn't feeling good. I took, we're going to figure out what's going on here. She had just recently had our second son, and the, her gynecologist said, well, the reason your skin's turning yellow is because you're low on iron, and you just need to go get you some over-counter iron pills, and you'll be fine. That wasn't working. I carried her into the Baptist downtown in my arms because she couldn't walk. It's ridiculous. We got to go find out what's going on. Put her in there. Get her in the room. It's just like a movie. The doctor comes in and, and says, well, I'm, I'm Dr. Oni Thomas. I'm going to be uh, running some tests over the next few days, and um, we're going to have you here for the next couple days and um, run some tests. Mr. Becker, I need to see you in the hallway. It's like, this is surreal at this point. And I walk out there, and he said, Mr. Becker, 
Preliminary tests show that your wife has stage 4 metastatic colon cancer that is metastasized from her liver, from her colon to her liver to both lungs and her brain. And she's going to die. It's going to be sooner rather than later. She probably won't make it through the weekend. The reason her skin is yellow right now is her liver is shutting down, and we suspect her liver will stop functioning by the end of the night. We weren't thanking God before that day for a functioning liver. We weren't seeing God function in the fact that, we, that, that she had a liver that was working. I'm telling you this. If you don't start thanking God for what you have, you're going to be praying for God for what you lost. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. If you are still mostly in your right mind, you ought to give God praise for that. If you can still think to put both shoes on, you ought to give God praise for that. If you can drive down, I love it. I tell you all all the time, people, people say, pray for my so-and-so uh, that God would bless them with traveling mercy. And I get that. That's cool. It's churchy, but it's cool. You know, you, we, we want Deacon Cliff and Julie to get all the way back to, you know, picking South Carolina. Uh, safely, but I want to get all the way back to Oakleaf safely. Hallelujah. You want to get all the way back to where you came from safely. We all need traveling mercy, and we need to see the hand of God because I promise you this, if it's a car wreck and you're waiting on the ambulance to come while you're holding somebody together, you're going to be praying then. You're going to talk to God about it one way or the other. You better learn how to give him thanks versus begging from him. They're rejoicing in verse 10. They, they were rejoicing in the stars. But one thing I need you to see about miracles, listen, unbelievers are always more curious about miracles than real Christians. You find somebody talking too much about miracles, uh, they're not, if they're saved at all, they're not very mature. See, people who are on this miracle hunt, and there's books and, and, and preachers that, that are chasing miracles everywhere they go, they like their senses, their, their eyes and their ears to be tickled. They, they like stuff they can see, and, and, and it, it inspires and motivates them because that's anything a child can respond to. As you grow in Christ, it's just like a marriage. When you first get together and you're dating that person, listen, if it's not skyrockets in flight, afternoon delight, if, if it's not all guns, if it's all not fireworks and roses, if it's not on and popping, if you don't think they're the baddest thing on two feet, you just need to skip and go on to the next one. Listen, ladies, you think he's all that right now? That furniture disease is coming. Men get furniture disease. That's when their chest drops all the way down to their drawers. They get their chest of drawers disease. Men, you think she's bad to the bone? My smoking hot wife. Let me tell you what, I hope you love her because in a couple of years, there's going to be a whole lot more to love. But when you really fall in love, all that need for them to blow your mind every day, that's puppy love. That's baby's foolishness. When you have mature, married, covenant love, it's not about can you rock my world today and make me see fireworks. It's about can we just exist in love together. It's just about sitting in the same room together, breathing the same air. It's just about being close and knowing I love her and she loves me. See, mature love don't need miracles. 
Mature love is happy inside the relationship without all of the bash, boom, bang. But they're all excited because they're seeing their miracles. Don't, don't get more concerned about the miracles than the one that is doing the miracles. Listen to verse 11. When they were come into the house, comma, always pause on the punctuation when you're reading any type of literature, but especially the Bible, because the Bible is a large volume book. It has a lot of metaphors, tropes, types, similes. It has a lot of contextual teaching that has to build on and follow through former statements. And you need to slow down your reading of the Bible. Take it in bite-sized pieces. And when they were come into the manger in Bethlehem where Jesus was born next to a trough and wrapped in swaddling clothes with, with cows and three kings providing, none of that's in the Bible. You see a nativity scene, what do you see? Jesus was born in a cave. That's true. He was born in a feeding trough. That's true. He was born. When they went to the hotel, what did the innkeeper tell him? We got no room for you. But you can go out there where the animals sleep in that cave over there, hide inside that rock, deliver that baby. Jesus was born in a manger, surrounded by animals. But he wasn't surrounded by anybody giving him gifts. And they weren't three kings. We don't even know if it was three. And they were wise men, not kings. But when they were coming to the what? The house. Okay, so if somebody were to ask you, when the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to Jesus, where did they present them? In the house. But where did the TV shows want us to believe it? Where did the nativity scenes at Walmart want us to believe it? In the barn. Get your theology from the Bible, not from a $19 nativity set at Walmart. When they were coming to the house, see, months have passed. These people have been walking hundreds of miles. This ain't like getting in your car and doing 90 because you got a long drive. Come on, y'all Atlanta goers. Somebody, I was going to Atlanta. They said, what time do you think you get here? I told them, they're like, what? What time are you leaving? I told them, they're like, it shouldn't take you that long. I'm like, dude, this is a six-hour drive to Atlanta, no matter how you slice it, no matter which way you go. Six hours solid. Jimmy's raising his hand. Good to see you, brother. And I've heard people tell me that, too. It's like, man, I get to Atlanta in four. <laughs> okay. That's them Atlanta drivers right there. But these dudes been walking for hundreds of miles. Months and months and a couple of years have gone past. Jesus is not a baby laying in a manger surrounded by animals. Jesus is a young child. That Greek word for young child is used all throughout the Bible. One of the most famous places it's used in the New Testament is when the disciples brought young children to Jesus and they sat on his lap and the disciples rebuked them, and he said, Suffer the children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. That's the same Greek word here for young child. Jesus was a young child when these people got there. They saw the young child, was with Mary, mother. They fell down, they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So here they are. They're in the house. They're giving these gifts. Stop getting your theology from Christmas carols. But I told you, unbelievers are always more interested in miracles than in God. But something happens to these unbelievers in verse 11. They have a transitionary moment in their life. And I want you to know, every human being that ever lived has been designed by God to have a transitionary moment. 
My transitionary moment happened to me on July 15, 1981, at just before 4 o'clock a.m. in my bedroom by myself with a little Red Nelson gift Bible as the Spirit of God captivated my heart and showed me that I needed a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And I had a moment of transition where I stopped being who I was and I became who God created me to be. I had a moment of transition where I went from being lost to being found. I was blind, but I could see. I was then, but now I'm different. If you had had your transition, you need to have your transition. We call it being saved, being born again. You, you were born once in the natural. That happened for me on August 6, 1963. But I was born again on July 15, 1981 in the spiritual realm. These wise men are having their transitionary moment. Why? Because they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. They didn't just see him like see him. And some of y'all can't get it. You know, every, every now and then, the, the, the ghettoisms can help you learn better. <laughs> see, so, some people understand, uh, you're hearing me, but you ain't hearing me. You know what I'm saying? You, 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 you see me, but you ain't seeing me. They saw Jesus, and it impacted them. How do I know that it impacted them? Because they fell down. They fell down when they saw Jesus. And some people will say, well, they fell down because they had come to, uh, to honor him as a king. When they were called in front of Herod, the king of the whole land, they didn't fall down in front of him. Why didn't they fall down in front of him? Because he didn't impact them. He didn't give them cause to pause. They didn't have a transitionary moment when they, just from seeing a king. But this two-year-old child. That they saw, they saw something in him. They saw God. They saw divine in him. And they fell down and they worshiped him. I said, we got to take a lesson from these people. We got to learn from these wise men. We have these stories for our examples. Some of you have been coming to church for a long time, but you ain't seeing Jesus. Coming to church for people. I told you, don't put no faith in me. I'll let you down faster than the next guy. The difference about me is I'll let you know up front. That I ain't perfect. I got issues. You got issues too. Well, I need to go to a church where the pastor fully delivered. That dude don't exist. <laughs> they were changed. They saw something in Jesus, and it impacted them. You need to get beyond going to church, and you need to find a way to see Jesus. I think it's good to come to church. I'm glad you're here. The Bible commands us to go to church. All these people saying, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You absolutely do. Tell them, well, my pastor said you're lying. Give them my phone number. Christian means Christ-like. Jesus went to church every week of his life. You want to be like Jesus, you have to go to church. It's not wrong to go to church, but when you come to church, if all you see is Elder Robin and Pastor Scott, you miss the whole boat. If you just come for your friends and the programs because we take care of your children, if you just come because we're feeding the community, if you just come because we're good people, you're missing the whole boat. When you come to a church, you better have your eyes looking for Jesus. Because only Jesus, I can't help you. I can just tell you the truth. If you grab hold of the truth, you and God can work something out. They saw Jesus and it changed them. They fell down and they worshiped him. See, at, at some point, all of our searching comes to this one divine moment when God gives you a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you either are changed by that encounter or you walk away. How much change been going on in your life lately? 
how much Jesus you've been seeing. You can talk about him all day long, but if nothing in your life's changing, you ain't seeing him. How do I know that? Because when you're seeing him, it impacts you, and it creates change in your life. Always has. That's why when, the, when they saw Jesus in his resurrected body, they fell down. When they recognized the divinity in Jesus when he was walking on the planet Earth, they, they saw him and fell to the ground and cried out, Depart from me because I'm sinful. When God showed up in the Old Testament for an epiphany, an Old Testament sighting of God, and he revealed himself to people, they would say, I'm not worthy, and they would fall. It, when you really get a glimpse of God, it's going to make you alter your posture. It's going to make you alter your behavior. You can talk about being a Christian all you want to. If it's not altering your posture and your behavior, then you don't really see Jesus. They saw him, and they fell down. And they worshiped him, and they presented their gifts to him, but they gave these gifts in a different way. They came, listen, I'm going to tell you why they came. This is what I believe. After 30-plus years of study, this is what I believe. They, the facts support that they didn't just give gifts to Jesus. It's like the Queen of Sheba. When she sent the eunuch to give gifts in Jerusalem, large cases of money, she was doing that to all the gods. Because she wanted a payback. It's like these people that give to all the politicians. They want to make sure that whoever wins gives a scratch back. And so they have been doing this their whole life. They've been going to kings and giving them money. They've been going to kings and presenting kings gifts just in case that one ever gets in charge. We're going to be in the tight. You remember me? I was there. I hooked you up with the hookup. And they're doing that for everybody. They thought they were going to go in as important people and make Jesus feel beholden to them because they were giving him gifts. Listen, God ain't impressed with your talent. God's not impressed with your ability. God's not impressed with your money. God's not impressed with what you, you think makes you who you are. They were, they were going to give Jesus a hookup and may, try to show we're important men and we brought you this stuff. Read between the lines. Now you owe us. But when they saw him, they really saw him, it altered their posture and their personality and they presented their gifts a different way. When you give your gift to the Lord, whether it's your time, your talent, or your treasure, uh, do you give it to him in humility? Do you give it to him with awareness that he's God and you're not? When you're serving God in whatever ministry you serve the Lord in, are you doing it with the right posture? See, they thought they were going to come in with one posture, but when they saw him, he impacted them. And they gave those gifts in humble worship to him. And they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. At some point, our life comes to this, this transitionary moment, I hope that you will let God introduce you to his son one day, and you'll have a transitionary moment. Let's let's look at a couple of things that they did. If we do what they did, we can have what they had. And they had the blessing of God on their life, and we need the blessing of God on our life. It says, when they saw him, it's funny because it said they saw the young child. This is Jesus and Mary, his mother. Then it says, and fell down and worshiped him. They saw two people, but they worshiped one. Good lesson there for the Catholic Church. I was born in Catholic Church. I know what I'm talking about. Mary is not to be worshipped, but Jesus is. When they saw him, when they were changed by the power of God, they fell down. First thing you need to do, if you really want to be all God wants you to be, you need to fall down. If you don't spend any time on your knees, you are not a Christian. You may be saved. You may go to heaven when you die, but you need to get on your knees and give God praise. You need to get on your knees and talk to God. 
Jesus went out and he prayed. I've told, been telling y'all for years. The biblical posture for prayer is flat on your belly or on your knees. Now, if, you're, if I've been dealing with a bad back for a long time, I can't stay on my knees as long as I used to. I can't sit in a chair as long as I used to. God knows your, your, your physical limitations, but if you're physically capable, you need to get on your knees. You need to fall down in the presence of God. I, some of y'all, we, we used to have people come to the altar during praise and worship time. We used to have people just come up here and pray during praise and worship time. I, some of y'all, I never seen a tear drop out of your eye. I never seen anything that looked like Holy Ghost emotion on your face. I never seen you bow a knee on an altar. And it makes me scratch my head and wonder, what are you coming here for? We're not coming here to have pretty church. We're not coming here to build a big building. We're not coming here to impress anybody. I ain't shaking hands and patting backs and hugging babies. I'm going to go take this wet suit off in 15 minutes, and I'm going to put on some dry clothes. I'm not going to stand at the door and politic you. Well, I think you ought to greet us at the door and shake our hand and tell us you're so proud we came. You tell somebody else that. I want to see people fall down. It's a sign of worship. You know, you can fall down even while you're sitting there. The Bible says you got to be poor in spirit. You have to have broken spirit. You have to have a realization that nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. you got to have a realization that I need him more than he needs me. They fell down. These were men of substance. These were men of power. These were men of privilege. If, if they were alive today, they'd be wearing a black suit with a big obnoxious, oh, hold on, big obnoxious red tie, power tie. They, they, were, they were men of power and influence. They were rich, wealthy, billionaires. You know the type. They were rich. Those cats don't fall down for people. They expect people to fall down for them. But they saw Christ, and it changed them. I hear people tell me, well, you know, Pastor, you're just emotional. You just cry and weep, and you, you just, you know, you get all hyped up. And go, I, I wasn't built that way. I didn't grow up that way. I, did, I wasn't raised to be emotional. Listen, let, let God take you beyond your raising. I was raised to raise hell. I was raised to fight, cuss, drink, do drugs, be in and out of prison, and raised to be a racist. God saved me, and he changed me. So don't tell me that, well, I don't do all that hugging and crying and praising and worshiping God because I just wasn't raised that way. I thank God. God saves you beyond how you were raised and gives you a new life and a new heart and a new motivation. And part of that motivation is humble, falling down before the Lord. Not only that, put verse 11 back on the screen for me. What else, what else do we see them doing? Where would he go? fell down and worshiped him. Second thing they did was they worshiped him. Do you worship God? I know you come to church, but do you worship God? I've told y'all, because I've been doing this for a long time, I know most of the tricks. If you got one, let me know, because it helped me get further along in life. But I know most of the tricks about doing ministry. And I wish I was, if I could sing like Elder Robin, number one, I'd be rich. And number two, I could get away with doing what he does. See, because when I'm looking at y'all, like some of y'all looking at me right now, like you tired of hearing me talk, and you you ain't scaring me. I got security up in here with guns. I am protected. I ain't scared of nothing. I'm safer in this building than anywhere in the world except my house. 
Guess why? Because I got guns. But anyway, some of y'all, you, you look at me like you, you, just, you just don't want to be here. See, I got to keep, keep my eyes open. I walk back and forth. I'll trip, fall, hurt myself. Elder Robin's sitting at a keyboard. When he gets tired of looking at them sourpuss faces, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Close them eyes, worshipers. You ain't got to see everybody staring at you. Whoo. This God's honest truth. The local uh, Christian broadcasting television company came to our church when we were on Blanding Boulevard. No, when we were on College Drive and told me, we have heard your messages. We've seen what you're doing in the community. We want to put you on Christian television for free. And I said, well, I don't pray about it. No, we, we, we're going to put you on for free. We're going to give you primetime TV spots for free, stuff people are paying big money for. We're going to give you the first Six months to a year for free. We'll see how it goes. I said, well, I still got to pray about it. I prayed about it, and here's what I came up with. Before I get on TV and let them put a, point a camera to me while I'm preaching, I want them to point a camera at y'all while I'm preaching. I want the world to see what I got to look at. Put that on TV. People digging wedges out, passing notes, leaning over. Every time I say something, that. You think I don't see that? Let me keep going. Does your Christianity cause you to worship? Not just here, in your home. You can't, you got to get down. You got to make yourself low to make God bigger. They worship. Not only did they worship, verse 11 tells us they opened their treasures. They gave something to God. See, in the old church, we learned we got to give God our time, our talent, and our treasure. we got to give God our time. That's why we come to church. That's why we make time for ministry. That's why we make time for Bible study. That's why we make time for prayer. That's why we make time for a daily appointment with God. But we also got to give Him our talent. God created you and gave you gifts and talents. You need to be using them for the Lord. But we all have a certain amount of treasure. You don't have to give. Thank God. When none of us are rich as the young rich man that came to Jesus. Jesus, some of y'all remember, what did Jesus tell him he had to give? All of it. He told us give 10%. He told that dude, you give all of it. I thank God he let me keep 90. Because if he said give 20, I'd be giving 20. If he said give 50, I'd be giving 50. Because I believe that we got to follow the word of God. And we got to present him the gifts. They opened up their treasures and they gave. Listen, anytime you give, you give of yourself first. Your heart. To God is more important than your talent, more important than your money. You need to let God get all of you. That's why we baptize by immersion. That's why Jesus was baptized by immersion. We don't pour a little water on the head. We don't splash water out of a bowl like they do in, 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 in some denominations. We put the whole person under the water. This, this is a whole deal going on here. You need to open up your life and you need to give something to God. That's a word. Number four, they presented him gifts. They presented him gifts. If I went around the room right now and I asked people, what's your gift? A lot of people would say, I don't know. A lot of people say, I'm, I'm just not that talented. God. A lot of people wouldn't say anything. De- Deacon West has been in security his whole life. 
this we we got Stacy been bounding in clubs. I shouldn't have told him all that. I mean, he, 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 <laughs> you've been bouncing in clubs for a while, right? In your lifetime. You're bouncing in this club right now, though, right for the Lord. Listen, I could have asked these guys when they first got saved, what, 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 what's your greatest gift? And if they would have said, I don't know, well, let me sit down and talk to you. Let me, let me see. Oh, you got that background? You got that experience? We need security. We got women and children in here. And a big mouth preacher that might need you to wrestle somebody to the ground one day. Everybody has something they can offer to the Lord. You can be in our prayer ministry. You never even have to come up here. You just pray for the needs that we send your way on personal emails. We have people email us from all around the world. We got over 200 countries listening to our our podcast. We have people emailing us prayer requests all over the world for our prayer team. There's all different kinds of ways you can open up your treasure and present God gifts, but we need to be giving God something. Fifth thing, last thing they did. They went home another way. Listen to what verse 12 says in a New Living Translation. When it was time for them to leave, they went home another way because God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. They came. They saw Jesus. They had a transitionary moment. They gave him everything, themselves, their gifts, They opened up their treasure to him. They worshiped him. And they left different. They went home another way. Put that fifth point on the screen for me. They went home another way. That's my goal for everybody in the room today. I said everything I said to get to this one point. All those other four points were set up to get to this one point. You have an opportunity today to go home another way. I'm not talking about take Collins Road instead of Brandon Field. I'm not talking about, you know, take the interstate instead of Blanding. You can leave this place a different way today if you want to. Or you can leave the same. And sadly, most people are going to leave the same. Most people are going to leave here the same way they came. I'm not talking about geography. I'm talking about in your heart. You need to leave here different today. What kind of different, preacher? You need to leave here loving God. You need to leave here with a determination that says, I'm going to be the woman God created me to be. I'm going to be the man, the young person God created me to be. I'm going to change. We all want change. We all want change. But we can't change all the things we want to see changed. The only thing you can actually really change in life when it gets right down to it is yourself. Are you willing to change? If you want things in your life to change, you got to be that change. What change could you make today that would honor God? What change could you make today? People are going to be talking about New Year's resolutions and, and all these new things that people want. What change? Don't wait till January 1st. What change could you make now in your life? Well, I don't know, preacher. Tell us, all right. Do more of the right stuff and less of the wrong stuff. That's all I got for you. Do more of the right stuff and less of the wrong stuff. None of us are perfect but Jesus. None of us are going to get all the way there today or tomorrow or in this lifetime. But if you start doing more of the right stuff and do less of the wrong stuff, you're going to find your life changing. And you're going to see God in your life. And you're going to find yourself going a different way.
I want us to start coming in here a different way. I want us to leave in such a different way today that next time we come here, we're still changed. And we come in with a heart to worship. You don't have to be a good singer. I'm not a good singer. I sing loud just to bother y'all. No. I sing loud so you can hear you don't have to have a great voice to sing loud. God said sing. I've had people say, well, Pastor, I don't like singing. God didn't say sing if you like singing. When we come together and we sing unto the Lord, we need to sing out. If you had a birthday party for your grandmama, and you saw your sister or your crazy cousin sitting over in there in the corner, and he'd come standing around grandmama, and when everybody else was singing happy birthday to her, he was just standing there looking stupid. You're telling him you can't celebrate grandmama with us for one song? It is a shame when people come into church and we have the opportunity to sing to our great God and people just stand there, stare at the floor. I want us to leave a different way, so much so that we come back different. After their encounter with Jesus, they went home another way. They quit messing with Herod. You know why? Because God told them he ain't no good. He's not the real king. He told you to go back. They were supposed to go back and tell Herod where Jesus was. He said, when you find him, come tell me. God said, nah, you're done with that. And they went home a different way. That's my desire for us in this place today. That we'd fall down, worship God, open our hearts to him, present ourselves to him, give him our treasure. And after we've done all that we can do, leave changed. Allowing God to have his way in our life. I hope you go home a different way today. If you're here and you're not saved, you don't have to shake no preacher's hand, walk an aisle, pray a prayer. You don't have to do any of that. God said if you call on his name, he'll save you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you have to do is open up your mouth and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says if you do that and you mean it with everything in you, God will save you. If you're here and you're already saved, you need to wise up, church. Be like these wise men. You need to start being more humble, giving God more. If you want more, you got, you got to give more. If you want to see better, you got to do better. And that's my prayer for each one of us today. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray now in Jesus' name that you would let someone leave here today a different way. Let us leave here filled with hope. Let us leave here filled with love. Let us leave here filled with faith that you are the one true God. God, I pray for every unsaved person in this room that you would reveal yourself to them and let them see you. And for every saved person in this room, God, I pray you'd let us see you again. Change us from the inside out. Have your way in our life. Be glorified in us, through us, and by us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.